gospel to each other and making disciples. Um, we've read the scripture and prayed for it to penetrate our heart. And so it's such a blessing uh, to be here with you and to do my small part in helping us unpack the scripture and understand what Psalm 103 has to say to us this morning and how we might apply it to our lives. I was really excited um, when I learned last week that Brian was going to preach Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 90 because of how our passage today, Psalm 103, complements and continues those same themes that we saw in Psalm 90. Praise God, who is eternal and unchanging. Lament that man is but momentary and fleeting. And petition God that he would give us satisfaction and show himself merciful to us. Uh, and here in Psalm 103, we're going to see those themes continued. The title of our passage today is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. A very simple passage to remember, hopefully one that we can do together this week. So here we begin in Psalm 103, a psalm of David. David is here calling on himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. He three times repeats that call to his own heart to bless the Lord. Not merely saying the words as he stands to lead the congregation in worship as a hypocrite would, but instead turning inward and reminding himself, preaching first to himself, soul, bless the Lord, not just with my mouth, but with all that is within me. Then he turns to the people and calls them to bless the Lord with him and praise his name. And together the people raise such a great cry to the Lord. They call upon the angels and the heavenly host to join them and all of God's works to bless the Lord, all his works, the creation of his hand. And so when we look at Psalm 103 together, that's going to be the progression, calling on our souls to bless the Lord together, remembering the works of God's hand and what he has done, blessing him together. And then as we go out from this place, calling on all the works of God's hands to join us in blessing the Lord. Um, it's such a neat thing to be able to sing the word of God, to teach the word of God, to consider it together in discipleship groups that in different ways, different people can speak the same truths about the same God into our hearts. So they're easier for us to understand and apply. Hebrews 1.1 talks about this, saying, in many different times, in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But now, he speaks to us through his son. And it's one of the great things about having discipleship groups that meet in homes to help us study and apply what we've sung today and what we'll read from God's word. And we're going to begin by reading together verses 1 through 5, our first point. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Our first point, bless the Lord, O my soul. David calls himself three times not to merely speak the word of God or stand before the people of God and put on a show, 
you know, it can be easy as followers of Christ to give into that pressure that we're doing the Lord a favor by looking like we've got it all together, by pretending that everything is going great when you follow the Lord, and not stopping and calling on our own heart and mind, bless the Lord, oh my soul. This is not for other people to see. God who sees our inward heart, who formed us in his own image. He knows our soul. He knows our frame. Our worship is first and foremost for him. But you know, that temptation is strong, and it wasn't just a temptation for David. In Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus reprimands the religious leaders of his time for paying closer attention to the outside and not dealing with their heart. Matthew 23, 25, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, that that would not be true of me or of us today, but that we, like David, would call first to ourselves, soul, heart, mind, all that is within me. Let me take this time to bless the Lord. This offering is not for others, but to God, who sees our inner self. And so this week and throughout our lives, we should regularly, repeatedly remind ourselves, call on our whole selves, to bless the Lord, oh my soul. The natural question then is, uh, how can I bless God? When God blesses me, he gives me something that I need. I need a lot. God has a lot. He blesses me. But he gives me something I need. God has no needs. There's nothing I can give to God he doesn't already have. Thankfully, the Psalms are really helpful here. The psalm pairs repetition with paired phrases or couplets to repeat the same language in more than one way to help us understand it. Um, for the sake of time, I'd ask you to jot these down and then you can fact check me as noble Bereans this week. Um, but three examples of this are Psalm 96 2, Psalm 96 2, Psalm 104 35. So Psalm 104, 35, and then our passage here, Psalm 103. So quickly in Psalm 96, 2, it says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. So the pair there with bless his name is tell of his salvation. In Psalm 104, 35, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, praise his name. So the pair here, bless the Lord, 
is praise his name. And in our passage, Psalm 103, verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. So what's the through line? If blessing the Lord is telling of his salvation to the peoples, of praising his name to God, and of remembering all of his benefits myself, then blessing the Lord seems to be to speak the truth about God back to God when we praise his name. To ourselves when we remember all that he's done and to the people when we tell of his salvation from day to day. So this blessing the Lord is simply speaking the truth of God back to him. And David says, now that I've called myself to bless the Lord, I've reminded my soul what it means. I want to call the people to join me because there are so many benefits to remember that God has done that we should recall not broad general things that God is good, but specific things that God has done. They are as numerous as the stars in the sky, but David takes time to pull out three pairs of specific works God has done towards man to remind them of his greatness so they can speak the truth of God back to God. You'll see in verse 3, these pairs are easily identifiable because they all start with who. He is a God who, in verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. That's the first of three pairs. The chief benefit to God's people what do we need most? We need to not be struck down in the presence of God. We need to be forgiven of all of that iniquity that would cause our heart to forget the Lord in the first place. As a king, David knew a thing or two about people's iniquity. As a father who had children who committed grave sins towards each other, who even revolted and tried to kill their own father, David, he knew something about the treachery of our families, and he knew something about the treachery of his own soul. Adulterer, murderer, liar and hypocrite who pretended all was well when inside he was full of murder and sin. And so, when he lifts his eyes up to God and he sees the promise that which of these iniquities are going to be forgiven— all of them. He can't help but bless the Lord with his whole soul. He knew the promise of God that he had given to forgive all his iniquities and to heal all of our diseases. Which diseases? COVID? Alzheimer's? Stroke? Heart attack? cancer. You know, David didn't know the name of Jesus the way that we did, but he knew the promise of God that he had given to Job. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, a man who had known disease personally firsthand, and this is what he said to God, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, not another. My heart faints within me. 
you know, we've been studying the book of Genesis lately, and also Psalm 90 last week, we see that man's time on this earth is fleeting. People, all people, will know the pain of disease and death. But that is not the natural state of God's people. It's a temporary condition that is cured eternally by repentance and faith in the Messiah, Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is how David could say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 4 continues with another pair of reasons to bless the Lord. He who remedies your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. David had not merely heard the promise and ultimate remedy God gave through Job for disease. David himself testifies in Psalm 16, verse 9, Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David believed that disease and death would not be the end of him that his life would be redeemed from the pit, from Sheol, by faith in God's coming Messiah, though he did not yet know his name. He believed that he would be crowned, not with an earthly crown that his rebellious son could take away from him, or that he would pass on to another at death. He believed that the eternal love and mercy of God would be as steadfast through life and death as the eternal God and Father himself. God offers this redemption from death, this crown of steadfast love for those who will turn from living to bless themselves for 70 or 80 years and instead bless the Lord, O oh my soul, declaring that Christ Jesus alone is the resurrection and the life. He alone is worth living for then we can experience what Martha learned in Matthew eleven twenty five. Remember that her brother had just died because Jesus was slow getting there, or so she thought. Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That is what David looked forward to and what we now know is true for all of us who repent and believe in Christ Jesus, God's Messiah. The third and final pair of specific acts that God has done, David calls the people to look to in blessing his name, is in verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Maybe you've experienced some dissatisfaction this year, maybe today. Um, 
Will you join me today in blessing the Lord that he is calling your heart away from satisfaction in temporary earthly things that will fade to permanent eternal satisfaction in the only good, God himself? You know, the world is full of solves for men like me with gray hair to renew my youth, turn on the TV or the radio, you'll, you'll see lots of them. And I hear that even the popular energy drink that's reputed to give you wings is very popular with youth themselves, who you would think would have all the energy in the world, but the whole world is crying out for our strength to be renewed. You know, the hard part of all this is that most of the world is looking in the wrong place. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, talks about the reality of youth and strength. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. There might be a quick fix for an hour or two, but Investing in diet, in exercise, in vacations, in self-care, in retirement plans, in a wonderful community to invest in. They do have temporary benefits, but all will fade. When we bless the Lord and live for those things at the neglect of preparing for our eternal life, by blessing the Lord, we miss the true benefit. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not his benefits that prepare us for an eternal life of worshiping you, whose weight of glory is beyond all comparison to an imagined life of ease that we could create for ourselves on this earth. The renewal of our strength is coming, but it may not look like the world thinks. So here, this King David, who was renowned 3,000 years later, still renowned as someone who blessed the Lord, even to his own shame, he is calling on his soul to bless the Lord. He is giving reason after reason that people should join him in blessing the Lord. He had more material benefit than almost anyone alive at that time, and he reminds himself don't bless your situation or your kingdom. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. As we turn to look at our second of three points, bless the Lord, praise his name. And all of these points will begin with bless the Lord. My memory is not that great, so I've made it easy on myself. Bless the Lord, praise his name. Beginning in verse 6, the psalmist here turns from admonishing his own soul and all that is within him to bless the Lord as he looks at the congregation, the people of Israel, and says, join me in blessing the Lord. He exhorts the people to join him, and he gives reason after reason after reason the people should bless the Lord and praise his name. We'll go through these fairly quickly, beginning in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
I, I don't know if you've noticed, our world seems pretty hungry for justice and the righteousness of God in our time, don't they? You know, the marches and movements of this past year just shout of a people who long for the righteousness and justice of God to be done, but feel something is not right. The sin in the world, the sin in our hearts is keeping the perfect justice of God from being revealed here on earth perfectly. You know, we as believers should be among the first to pray for and to push for God's justice in our own hearts, in our communities, in our world. We can't hide behind the excuse that God's perfect justice only comes at Christ's return, but at the same time, we can't fix our hope on a temporary solution. Our God and Father who created the world is the only spring of true justice. We should be praying that. We should be pushing for that. We should be expecting that, not perfectly, but living our life to see God's justice first in our relationships and then in our community. David here draws on a really rich passage of Scripture that I'm going to actually ask us to turn to um, in Exodus chapter 34. So if you'll flip over, Exodus chapter 34, we're just going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. But we spent, as a church, seven months recounting the amazing works of God in delivering his people. Thankfully for you, I'm not going to try to recap all seven months worth of works, all, all the chapters of Exodus, but I do want us to read those two verse, or three verses, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, because the language of Psalm 103 closely mirrors what God is saying here about himself. As a quick refresher, Exodus 32 and 3 is God giving the law while the people build a false golden calf to worship. God telling Moses, I'm going to destroy this people. I'm going to remake a new people with you. And Moses pleading and interceding as a father, God, remember your promise and show your mercy. To illustrate one of the key themes of Exodus, we, God's people, we need an intercessor, a mediator. If we're to come before a holy God who by no means forgives or pardons iniquity, we need an intercessor. But here, God draws Moses back to the mountain, invites Moses to meet with him again, and himself comes down to testify about himself. You know, the world around us and our, our oikos, our friends and neighbors, they're full of ideas and opinions about who we think God is and who we believe God to be. But when God himself testifies to his character and his nature, that trumps every other opinion. This is the word of God himself testifying to Moses on 103.5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love and for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God's testimony about himself is, I am gracious, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Moses' intercession before God was not to talk him into forgiving the people the very thing God longed to do because his character and his nature is forgiving, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but to show the people you need a mediator between a sinful people and a holy God. God himself says, I am slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, We can count on him to keep his promises, to forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin for those who love him and obey his commands. God's mercy is relentless. But you know, God too loves justice. He pursues justice here to the third and fourth generations. Yes, he shows mercy to a thousand generations, but he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will punish my sin, your sin, either in the cross or in hell. And so we should call upon our hearts today, as Isaiah 55, 6 says, to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Yes, the Lord is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, but he will not leave iniquity unpunished. Let us call upon the Messiah for repentance and belief. So when I come to church or when I come to pray or read God's word, and my heart feels so far from God and and cold. It's not that God's promises have in any way changed or that God himself has in any way been altered. It's my heart and my mind have not been blessing the Lord with all that is within me. I have been forgetting the benefits of God thanking him and praising him together for all he's done, declaring his praise to the peoples, has no change on God. But it changes me. It reminds me of what lasts and what is eternal. Bless the Lord with me. Praise his name. We've heard God's testimony about himself in Exodus 34. We're going to go back to Psalm 103. He testified about himself, listen for these clues, this language drawn from God's own testimony that he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And let's note how David blesses the Lord before the congregation, recounting God's character listening for those clues, that language, that the people may join him as we join them and bless the Lord, praise his name. Verse 8 of Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love. Does that sound familiar? He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God is slow to anger. He will not chide us forever. Like a parent who takes no pleasure in catching their child doing wrong, but finds the energy and strength from somewhere to correct that child, to discipline and love and show the need to follow after God. So God corrects us for a time, not because he loves to catch us in the act of doing wrong, but he is sanctifying us day by day that we may be more like his son, Christ Jesus. He will not scold us forever, you know, Some people are looking for a reason to be angry. Maybe you know a few of them. I think I do. But God looks for a reason to show us grace, to show us mercy. He is generous and slow to anger. He does not deal with us according to sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Wouldn't it be horrible if our sin those things that we've so carefully hidden away behind facades were known to the people sitting next to us, were known to our friends and our family. How mortified would I be if you could see my sin? God, who formed us, knows our inner being. He doesn't look at me or at you with the disgust that our neighbors would. He looks at you with his love slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, overflowing in mercy like a loving father. Psalm 103 verses 11 and 12 goes on and talks more about this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, the psalmist begins in 103.1 talking to his own soul to bless the Lord and then to the people to join him in praising his name. And now, after going through list after list of all that God has done as a loving father, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, as he appeals to the people to see God's mercy and love, suddenly the analogies of a loving father are no longer sufficient here. And he has to turn to grander language to talk about how high God's love is above the earth, as if he's looking to the stars and remembering God's promise to Abraham to multiply his people like the stars. You know, I'm told that the farthest we can see with our naked eye is the Andromeda galaxy two million years away, light years away. But that is only a tiny sliver of the known universe, the edges of which are believed to be 14 billion light years from us. And that's as far as we know. Beyond what we know, the mercies and greatness of God are beyond our comprehension. We don't have language to adequately describe the height and depth of God's love for us. But I do remember the very first time I realized why they call our galaxy the Milky Way. 
Um, I'd been out uh, backpack hiking up in the mountains near an enormous desert, no settlements around, no light pollution. And as I uh, laid out under the stars and looked up, it was a moonless night. I expected it to be completely dark. The sky glowed with millions and millions of stars so bright it seemed like a pearlescent glow where all the stars ran together in this milky galaxy, star upon star upon star. And I even had the chance to go down and see the expanse of that huge desert I was camped out near. Um, my mom and I got a chance to drive out into these dunes. This desert, 100,000 square miles, sand dunes 30 stories tall, you get up on the top of one of those and it was just sand as far as you could see and no civilization. We took some of the most gorgeous pictures together. I wish I could show them to you, um, but on the way back, we, we lost the camera. I, I don't know if we dropped it in the sand, buried under the sand dunes. Uh, then we got on a plane and flew back from Asia to the other side of the globe. Um, that was 15 years ago, so no matter how beautiful those photos might have been, no amount of money will allow me to produce them for you. No matter how much I want to show them to you, they are lost to the sands of time in a desert bigger than Germany on the other side of the world years ago. But that is nothing compared to how far God removes our sin from us. Not an accidental dropping or losing of something in the sand or in the ocean. God intentionally removes our sin from us when he, we repent and believe in his Messiah, Christ Jesus. Those sins are no longer remembered. No one can call them back to his mind, no matter the money or the pleading. They are gone. Removed as far as the east is from the west, our language fails us. And so Paul prays for us as believers in Ephesians 3.18 that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Bless the Lord. Praise his name. David returns now to the imagery of a loving father in verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As a father shows compassion to his kids, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I don't know if you had a compassionate dad, I, I, but I know the father who made you. Maybe your dad was the most compassionate person you've ever met, but his mercies were a drop in the bucket compared to the steadfast love of our Father who made you. His tender mercies are for all those who fear him, who keep his commandments. And unlike humanly parents who might feel compassion but can't always change the world around our kids, to show them compassion, God is all-powerful to not just feel, but to do and affect real compassion on his children. He knows our frame. He formed us for his purpose. He remembers that we are but dust. It's so easy to feel like 
you know, nobody really knows me. Nobody really hears me or, or gets me. God is the one who has knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows our deepest fears. He knows our hopes that are so unimaginable we don't even say them out loud. He made us not to mock us when we stumble and fall short of his perfect standard. He made us to lavish his steadfast love, his full forgiveness, mercy and grace in Christ Jesus on us in his Messiah. So we're going to look briefly at verses 15 through 19 as we consider what it means to bless the Lord and to praise his name. We get a stark reminder of the difference between God and man, his creation. As we've been learning in Genesis and in Psalm 90, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. Its place remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant. And remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You know, we've heard over and over as we studied the first uh, several books of Genesis, man's time on this earth is fleeting. Every one that is born will die. Man's power to accomplish his purposes and the intents of his heart are limited. David may have built a great kingdom for a time, and then he died, and then it was up to another. We as people are not like God. We might try our level best to show compassion or love to someone, but in the end, there will be a time we're going to let each other down. Maybe you've been let down by someone that you thought you could trust. God is not like us. He does not aim to do something and find it too hard. He doesn't change his mind and decide we don't deserve his love now that we've done that new thing. Because God's love was never rooted in us to begin with. From everlasting to everlasting, his steadfast love endures. From everlasting, before humans existed, God's love was as steadfast then, before we had done anything good or bad, as it will be into the everlasting future with God. Not based in our works or deeds, but in the very nature of our eternal, unchanging God. That is what it means that his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. We didn't earn it. It's rooted in God himself. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You know, David knew God had promised that an heir of his would sit on the throne forever. David also knew that his son had tried to take that throne by force and kill him, and that all that he worked for in this life would pass on 
to another man who may or may not love the Lord and bless the Lord with all his soul. He recognized no matter how compassionately and justly he lived and reigned as a king, all his work goes on to the next man and may be gone in a few years' time. Not so with a throne God established in the heavens. It will endure forever, and his kingdom rules over all. You know, as believers and followers of God, we do well. It's a good thing to bless our jobs, to bless our communities, to to bless our neighborhoods with the days that God has given us on this earth. But only God's kingdom stands forever. The rest is going to fade like scorched grass, and its place won't even remember it anymore. Where are we investing our lives? Is it to bless the Lord and to praise his name? Our final point and the shortest, bless the Lord, all his works. Verses 20 through 22. So the psalmist began calling on his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord. Then he looked at the people gathered to praise God. He said, join me. Recount God's marvelous deeds. Bless the Lord. Praise his name. And now as the people join together to lift their praise to God, they call even God's created works the angels, the ministers of heaven, all that God has created with his hands to join them in blessing the Lord, all his works. And so today we are considering, are we blessing the Lord ourselves? Are we together blessing the Lord? And when we go out from here in several minutes time, it will be our charge to bless the Lord, all his works, to call all the works of God's hands to bless him by speaking the truth of God back to God, to ourselves, and to the peoples, to all that God has created. So here we see in verses 20 through 22, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The people testify to God's angels who were made to bless his name and gladly obey God's word. You know, Exodus calls the large group of people that he brought, God brought out of Egypt God's host. But here we're talking about the heavenly hosts, the heavenly armies God has created. The people lift their voices in praise and the ministers of God gladly join in doing his will. God's children bless the Lord among all his works in all of God's dominion. And the work of his hands declares the glory of God. I love how Psalm 19.1 says it. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And I love to remember what happened on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in and the little children said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees rebuked them and said, do you know what these children are doing? And Jesus said to them, I tell you, if these were silent, 
the very stones themselves would cry out. That's Luke 19. Bless the Lord, all his works. As God's children, we must regularly remind ourselves to bless the Lord with all that is within us. But we don't keep it to ourselves. We bless the Lord and praise his name together with other believers, recounting God's faithfulness to us, not just in broad specifics, yes, God is good, but as we meet in discipleship groups, recounting the wins that God has given us, how he's blessed us specifically day by day. And then we call the rest of God's work to join us. Our co-workers, our neighbors, our, our friends and families, those that we call our oikos. We bless the Lord by speaking the truth of God to them, that in God's steadfast love and gracious mercy, he might draw them to bless his name as well. As we go out from this place, we call on the nations and all God's work to join us as we bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Together, bless the Lord, praise his name. And among the nations, bless the Lord, all his works. So children of God, I leave you with a simple reminder. Bless the Lord. Remind yourself of what he has done for you each day. You know, I've got reminders that tell me when to get up, when to stand up from my desk, when to drink some water, when to get some exercise. Oh, I got to leave to be at my appointment on time. Have I structured my day with reminders of all that God has done for me in Christ Jesus? Have I built in time to read and to pray, to speak a word of encouragement to my brothers and to my sisters, to ask for and receive prayer and encouragement myself? Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And the Spirit empowers us to obey his word and to do his will, remembering all of creation is under the dominion of God's everlasting kingdom. Men, we are but dust. But if we submit ourselves fully to God and his kingdom, that will last forever. And we will rejoice in the steadfast love of the Lord. For his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and do his will. If you've been listening along with us today, and that little caveat at the end, for those who obey him, who do his will, who keep his commandments, it's bothering you. You're not sure you've been living your life to bless the Lord with all that is within you. Maybe you've been living to bless yourself and, and look like you've got it together. I've been there. I understand, and so does God. What do we do? Begin by blessing the Lord that he has given you life. He himself is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He remembers. He has made us of dust. So, to dust we will soon return. And these people and places and things that we give our blessing to for the days we have, they're not likely to remember us after we're gone. Instead, we should bless our maker who endures forever. 
and shows compassion to those who fear him. We should surrender from trying to bless ourselves for 70 or 80 years and instead call only on the name of Christ Jesus who perfectly obeyed God's will, perfectly kept the law, perfectly did the will of God and feared him. Trust in the life of Christ instead. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, And God made him who knew no sin to become sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If we repent and believe in Christ Jesus, submit ourselves to his will, he will show us compassion as a father. He will lavish his love on you. Love that is higher than 30-story sand dunes or further than 14 billion light years out of the galaxy. His steadfast love endures from everlasting before we were created to everlasting after we are long gone. And he will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. No one will be able to uncover it or find it or call it to mind anymore because the sin was paid in the cross and not by ourselves in hell if we repent and believe in Christ Jesus. Does thinking about these things cause your heart to fill with gratitude and joy? If so, join with me in blessing the Lord in our soul. Bless the Lord and praise his name together. And bless the Lord all his works among the peoples. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name as we pray together. Holy God, you are compassionate and kind. No one needs to remind you or beg you to be forgiving or loving or to remove our iniquities far from us. This is your delight for all who love you, obey you, and keep your commandments, but we can't do it perfectly. And so we trust not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We commit ourselves to him this week that we might do a simple thing. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you have accomplished in Christ, for showing us through your word, for giving us reminders and encouragement through our discipleship groups, through your word, through the songs of praise that you have hidden in our heart. This week, may we bless you, O Lord, among the nations and glorify the name of Christ Jesus in which we pray. Amen.